Hey, Midtown family, I have an important and exciting update for you. So as you know, this fall, instead of one large Sunday gathering, we've been hosting multiple mini gatherings each Sunday as our life groups have been worshiping together in homes. We arrived at this plan through a lot of prayer as our leadership team monitored CDC guidelines, the expertise of national and local officials, what our local school systems were doing, as well as the progress being made on our next church home at 924 East Main Street. We believe that life groups hosting their own Sunday gatherings allowed us to take advantage of a unique strength of our church, our life groups, while being able to maintain a healthy balance of safety precautions and the spiritual importance of gathering with God's people. Now, however, we're excited to announce our next phase. Starting January 3rd, 2021, we will finally be moving in and hosting in-person gatherings at our new home at 924 East Main Street in Lexington. Construction on our building took longer than we anticipated, but we are beyond pleased that the finishing touches are finally being put on and that we will be able to gather together again in person really soon. Now, in light of this year's pandemic, things initially will look a little different than the last time we were all together. For starters, to enable us to accommodate social distancing measures, we'll be hosting not one, but two gatherings on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Seating will be spaced out, masks will be required, and capacity will be limited, but this gives us the greatest opportunity for as many of us as possible to be back together again for live teaching and worship. For families, we'll have a few different options for you based on your comfort level and the availability of our volunteers. So Kidtown will be offered for preschool-aged children and younger at the 9 o'clock gathering and the 9 o'clock gathering alone to begin with. So this means if you have older children or you prefer your children to remain with you during the gathering, they are more than welcome inside the auditorium. Additionally, during the 11 o'clock gathering, we'll be offering additional seating in the Kidtown area with a live feed of what's happening in the auditorium if you prefer that for you and your family. And as we've done for the majority of this year, we will also continue to provide the sermon and worship guide online each week for anyone who needs to keep worshiping at home or with their group. Simply, our goal with all of these options is to find ways to be together as God's people and love one another well with whatever your comfort level may be in this crazy season. However, with this new phase of regathering, there is one important step that we will need from you. In order to ensure that we have the right social distancing measures and the correct Kidtown volunteer ratios, as well as providing important feedback and accountability in this next phase, we will need you to register for your gathering and Kidtown attendance. I know that might feel like a bit of an extra step for some of us, but it really will help us be best prepared for Sundays, as well as enabling us to make the best decisions for what we're going to do going forward. All of our regathering details, including how to register, will be released over the course of the next several weeks, so please be sure to be on the lookout for that important information. If you're not already on our mailing list, make sure you fill out our online connect card because that will be the best way for you to stay informed for all of our upcoming plans. And lastly, it's worth noting, and this probably goes without saying, but the last time I checked, it's still 2020. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that anything can happen and all plans are subject to change. That is the case with all of these plans as well. We don't anticipate that this will be our long-term mode of operation, but we think it's the right next step for us to take to regather and move into our next church home. We love you. We're pumped for what's coming up, and we'll see you very, very soon. You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. 
If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. It's been a while since I've seen a sheep. And I don't know if I've ever, in all of my days, seen an actual, real-life shepherd. When I pull into my neighborhood, I see lots of SUVs, I see kids riding their bikes, I see an Amazon truck every 30 minutes or so, maybe soon it'll be drones, I don't know. I see a creepy ice cream truck every once in a while. But I have never once seen a wandering herdsman pass through my neighborhood with his sheep in tow. Due to our passage today and our general lack of familiarity with shepherds, I want to start by telling you an Old Testament story that will be relevant to our passage. You may have heard of King David, even if your biblical knowledge isn't high. He's arguably the most famous king of Israel, both for his heroism and for his failings. But his background should ring some Christmas bells in your mind, because he was born in a little town called Bethlehem. This is noteworthy that the most famous king of Israelite history would come from Bethlehem because Bethlehem was known as the least significant little town in a rather insignificant area. Bethlehem had a rural hillbilly vibe to it, and that's ironic because in 2020, that seems like it's the only group left that it's socially acceptable to mock or belittle. And if you remember the story, when the Lord sends Samuel to Bethlehem to find Israel's next king, at first, David isn't even there. His older brothers are there, hoping to be chosen as king, but David is out in the wilderness with the sheep. He is the bottom of the totem pole in his family, so his job is to be the shepherd. And here's where we need some help due to the lack of sheep in our everyday lives. When I was growing up, uh, there were these figurines that church people collected called precious moments. There were these cutesy little ceramic things that were designed to make elderly women say, aww, like look at these guys. I mean, how could you possibly make anything look more docile and harmless than this? Look at that shepherd with his cute little shepherd's crook. And these adorable little sheep down here. So when I was growing up, I I think I just kind of subconsciously came to this conclusion that shepherds, and therefore David, must have been real pansies. Like, they just walk around in pristine grass and pet these adorable sheep because there was no real work to do, I guess. I don't know. But the reality that anyone growing up in a pre-modern farming community would know is that shepherding is brutal work for tough men out in the elements. And sheep, despite their intrinsic value, were often dumb and directionless and utterly defenseless. A shepherd's job was to keep dozens, if not hundreds, of these creatures alive in open fields or in a wilderness, day and night, and at times needed to get them safely from one place to another that was miles away. Now, it's hard enough for me to corral my four kids through the Target parking lot. Now, think about doing that with 
hundreds of sheep. Think about closing your eyes at night under the stars, knowing your job is to keep a hundred sheep from being eaten in the middle of the night. And the book of 1 Samuel tells us that the threats in ancient Israel were not the coyotes or hogs we have in South Carolina, but lions and bears. When Israel is facing almost certain defeat against the Philistines and their giant warrior Goliath, David the shepherd boy has this epic moment where he offers to fight Goliath. And here's what he says in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Well, okay then. So David is basically like Liam Neeson, except with lions and bears. That's a very different mental image than those precious moments figurines, isn't it? So with that context, there's a prophecy about the coming Messiah in the book of Micah. This occurs way after the reign of David, Israel's first shepherd king. Micah is writing in the 8th century BC during the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. And this is a time where God's people are divided and scattered much like sheep due to their own foolish decisions and the threats of outside enemies too powerful for them. And in their predicament, the Spirit prompts these prophetic words through the prophet Micah. He says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So the prophet Micah says, God is going to do it again. He is yet again going to raise up a ruler from this insignificant place called Bethlehem. A ruler who is from of old, from ancient days. And this ruler will be a mighty shepherd, both loving and also not to be messed with. He will hold a shepherd's crook in his hand, ready to keep his sheep safe and guide them away from danger and fight off any attacker. And when this ruler stands to shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, God's people will finally dwell secure. He will be their peace, a wise and powerful protector and guide. This prophecy comes into play in a famous Christmas narrative from Matthew chapter 2. 
that we'll look at today. Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, and there was a ton of buzz in the religious and political community about his birth. Herod was king, and he did not fancy anyone else who claimed that title, so he was very interested in these happenings as well. This is what verse 1 says. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, most likely meaning the religious and political leaders in Jerusalem are greatly concerned. Verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And you guessed it, he is going to quote Micah 5. This shepherd king will be born in the same place the first shepherd king was born. Verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the long-awaited and foretold shepherd king had arrived, born in a manger in Bethlehem of all places. But instead of shepherding sheep, Jesus would shepherd the souls of those made in his image. Instead of battling lions and bears, Jesus would crush the head of the eternal serpent. Instead of crumbling to temptation as David did, Jesus would stand tall against it and save his people. And of the many implications we could draw from this beautifully fulfilled prophecy, I just want to hone in on two short takeaways. The first one is this. We are sheep who need a shepherd. By the nature of how metaphors work, if Jesus came to be our shepherd, that only leaves one role for us to play. It's not an entirely unflattering role. Sheep were cherished and vital animals, beloved by their owners and shepherds. But the less desirable implications also apply. Because we, like sheep, can be spiritually dumb. We put ourselves in harm's way often. We make foolish, awful decisions out of our sheep brains or what Scripture calls our flesh. We often trade the thing we want most, our spiritual good, for the lesser thing we want now. No matter how much it hurts ourselves or other people. We are often directionless like them. I don't know about you guys, but I struggle to lead myself. Sometimes I actually know the right way to go, and I still struggle to lead myself in that direction. I get distracted by shiny things and creature comforts. And we, like sheep, are often defenseless about one thing or another. It's likely different things for a group of us this large. 
You might look at the addictions or hang-ups of someone else and, and think, man, they are helpless against that. But you have your own areas of shocking vulnerability because we all do. And our sheepness gets exposed in particular ways through the holiday season. Some of us are caught up in the lie that the next purchase is finally going to be the one to put right what is bent in your soul. You wouldn't say it out loud, but in your soul, you believe that thing you long for is going to do more for your happiness than it possibly could. We do this over and over because we are sheep. Those things will fade just like all of the rest of them already have. Some of you are unable to sit still. You tell yourself it's just that you're so busy. But the reality is that being still makes you wildly uncomfortable because it forces you to face things you'd rather not face. It turns out that all the activities that come with Christmas become wonderful coping mechanisms for this. They allow you to never sit still before God, and you don't feel guilty about it because they all need to get done. This happens because you are a sheep. Others of you, even with all of the many resources given to you in Christ, just cannot manage to get along with those closest to you. So this season brings new layers of conflict and friction. And instead of seeking to reconcile and be at peace with others, as much as it depends on you, like Scripture says, you tend to just grin and bear it or roll your eyes and just move on. I hate to tell you this, but that's because you are a sheep. Some of us are decimated by self-image issues. You are constantly in your own head, worrying about how others perceive you. You have this permanent barometer of how you feel about your body that never turns off and it tortures you. This season that tends to be full of holiday food and treats becomes a big trigger for you. And it will be hard for your focus to turn to adoring Jesus because it's already so hopelessly bent back on yourself. This happens about looks or other areas of insecurity because you and I are sheep. We are sheep who need a shepherd. And voices in our culture will offer solutions to all of these problems. Tell you the self-sufficiency gospel of America, that you already have what it takes, that you can fix this if you just put your mind to it and find the right solution and never give up. But those voices are liars. They haven't worked for anyone. Just look around you. Scripture is more humbling because it says, no, you actually don't have what it takes because you are a sheep. 
but it's also far more hope-giving because it doesn't stop there. It also tells us that we are sheep who have a shepherd. We are weak and needy with problems we cannot solve ourselves. We are defenseless all in our own unique ways. A sheep on its own is eventually going to hurt itself or get eaten. Those are the two options. But we are not left on our own. Because we have a shepherd who came after us to gather his sheep to himself and guide them and protect them from the spiritual harm they are so defenseless against. In 1 Peter 5, Peter draws a connection to all of this that I think is just so cool. He talks about pastors being shepherds under Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. And then he says this in verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. When I read this, my mind goes back to what David said in 1 Samuel about his time as a shepherd. He said that if one of his sheep got taken by a lion, he, quote, went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. So Paul says, you are the sheep. Satan is the lion. And Jesus is the chief shepherd who came to Liam Neeson the lion and save you. The worldview of Scripture is one where real forces of spiritual evil are seeking to devour us. And this devouring can come through a variety of means, often from where you don't expect it. The devouring forces I see at work here uh, often come through addiction or bitterness or pornography or secularism or materialism. But there is no limit to their creativity in your life. They can also come through holiday purchases or busyness or even a plate of Christmas desserts. And please hear this. If you think you can protect yourself against these devouring forces, you are the greatest of all fools. You have not a prayer against the teeth they will sink into you without you even knowing it. Because you are a sheep who does not see a whole world of threats lined up against you. But the good news is a well-trained shepherd with the right weapon can solve every problem you have. He alone can kill the lion. And the baby screaming into the night in Bethlehem came to be just that kind of shepherd for us. This shepherd is a capable protector, a fierce defender. He senses threats coming your way that you are blissfully unaware of. He sees all around you when all you see is right in front of your face. He knows when we become a threat to our own selves. These original hearers would have understood something that we don't. 
there were times when a sheep probably thought the shepherd was trying to kill them because all they felt was his crook around their neck, yanking them away. But in reality, he was keeping them alive. Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. That's how we know the extent to which he loves us, that we can trust him no matter what we are able to see. And what this all presents us with is a reminder. This season is always crazy, busy, and rushed. There are gifts to buy and lights to put up and Christmas treats to bake and classic Christmas movies to watch. And all too often, I blink and it's January 1st. And I sense that there was spiritual richness I lost out on due to the busyness. What this Advent season ultimately tells us is that we need to be saved, to be rescued from spiritual evil hell-bent on devouring us, from our own abhorrent folly, from the well-deserved wrath of God from our sin, because we are sheep and we are utterly hopeless unless someone does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And God, he sent us the shepherd that we desperately need but don't deserve. The son of God, the second person of the eternal Godhead, incarnated into human flesh. He was a beating heart the size of a pea. He was encircled in expectant and protective fluid for months while tendons and bones were mysteriously formed. His terrified and obedient mother was whisked away from her home in late pregnancy only to come to a full inn with no one having the decency to offer their room to a woman bursting with labor. So our shepherd was therefore born with the sheep in the stable, a fitting metaphor for what he came to do for us. So if you're a Christian, I would draw your attention to the many ways that you needed saving. Who would you be without the saving work of grace in your life? How has this shepherd king rescued you and guarded you and strengthened you in the areas where you were defenseless against sin? What vapid foolishness would your life be defined by if he would not have put his shepherd's crook around your neck? What lion's mouth has he snatched you out of? How would you be devoured had he not done so? In the midst of everything else this season brings, take some time to bask in the answers to those questions to thank him, to adore him, to marvel at him, to gaze at the miracle where all of this started. And if you are not a Christian, I simply lay all of this before you. It may be that the good shepherd is pursuing you even now at this very moment 
in this chaotic year, you do have to accept that you are a sheep, much in need of rescue. But you also get the shepherd you've always needed. He is good. He was foretold through the mouse of prophets he created. Then he was born in a Bethlehem manger, and he comes to you now through the internet of all things. What links must he go through to get your attention, to bring you into his flock? Please don't let another Christmas go by without trusting him. He is the good shepherd and he is for your good.